to uh, this this Sunday is our our last Sunday with our Shane's revivalists. How's that? Sure. Uh, we started. I think this is the third year that we've done this. I think sounds right. And um, we kind of came up with this idea. Beneficial, mutually beneficial to to both um, the students that would come and to us, of course. And the idea of kind of cross pollination, I guess, might be the right word, but um, getting to see all of their wonderful, happy faces and them getting to see all of our wonderful, happy faces. And um, anyway, this this Sunday comes every year where we uh, have to say goodbye to all of you guys and. And um, would you would you all stand? You're kind of scattered in, so I can't. But you're all kind of over in this area. Yeah, so this group. Stay standing for a second. Um, I just want to say thank you, thank you guys for for all you poured into us. And uh, it's I know it's a lot of work coming up, and I know it's a lot of time out of your your weekend, and we appreciate it. And I was thinking about it this morning, and I think that um, both for for us and I think for you guys as well, uh, we never know the impact of the season that we are in and then the seasons that we walk through until oftentimes years and years later. And so um, I just want to encourage you with that, that you, you just never know the impact of the seeds you've thrown here and planted here and then also the seeds that we've got to, to plant in your life. So. Um, bless you guys. We love you. Thank you so much for investing in us. And we hope you had a good time. And uh, we love you. So we guys appreciate them. Thank you. Just love them. And if you, uh, if you didn't get a chance to hang out with them, um, that stinks for you. <laughs> but uh, you can... You can connect with them really quick at the end of the service and give them some money if you want. That helps sometimes. I, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm in a funny place right now, so we'll see how that goes. We, uh, this last week, two weeks, um, we got to spend some time in, uh, in Kona. At the YWAM base in Hawaii, um, myself and Bobby Storkman and Tim and um, my dad actually got to come, which was awesome. And then um, at the drop of a hat, spur of the moment, as he does, Mike Boggs flew over because um, we just texted him and said, there's a big excavator here. You should come play with it. <laughs> he said, I'm on my way to the airport. And so he he came and and played with us, but um, it was it was in Hawaii, so I don't want to. Uh, it, it was amazing that we got to play in Hawaii, um, but we we formed some really neat connections with um, some new stuff that's going on at YWAM, and they uh, things have changed. We were there two years ago, and um, some of the same people are there, but YWAM is a pretty fluid uh, culture. Um, it's a there's, you know, they do discipleship training schools that are relatively short, 
And so they have a big influx, people coming and going all the time. And um, But there's a, some of the people that were remaining, but there's a, a big push that they're having right now to um, try to grow their structure of their, their infrastructure uh, to match the growth of um, their influence, really, of people that are coming um, to DTSs. And, um, their largest DTS was just last year that they've, ever had and it was like 320 or something like that and the fire and fragrance is what it's called and and this next one I guess in like three months they're expecting 500 so and I think the largest one before that was like it was like 150 or something I could be getting those numbers a little bit off but it's close to that and so they're literally like almost doubling in size um, every every six months or so so they're trying to keep up with, with that. And obviously, to have more students, they have to have more room. Um, and so they're trying to um, build these dorms. And what was kind of neat is we stayed in one of the dorms there. Um, and it was actually the dorm that we, uh, my, my dad and I, and actually Reuben was there with us doing trimming. And it's the, the dorm that we finished painting and got prepared. And we got to stay in the room we painted. So that was kind of neat. And we housed with uh, another guy that was there. And um, got to have some connection with that. So it was really fun. Um, and so what we were doing is, um, I should have put some pictures up, but I didn't think about it. But um, they have this massive vision to develop. They have about 100 acres there, that, and about 35 of it are developed. And so it really is, when you look at the map, you see this is the existing. It's kind of the long, bottom corner, and then they have all this that they want to develop. It's just it's just wild brush right now. And... Um, there's a there's a road that kind of goes right up the middle where they put in all of the utilities that are coming down into the into the property, and um, what they are wanting to do is to pour a big parking lot, um, just single car parking lot all the way up the side of it. But before they can do that, uh, because they have to have the parking just the way that permits work um, to get their grading permits for the buildings, they have to have the parking ready and the drainage ready. So it's kind of a, it seems like a weird order to do the parking lot before the building, but it's just the way things work. Um, and so anyway, they, ha- they needed to do that, but they needed to get all the utilities on the other side of where the parking lot's going to be so they don't have to cut up the parking lot. Does that make sense? So anyway, that's what we did. Um, and if you have ever been to Hawaii, especially if you've ever been to the Big Island, you realize it's one giant lava rock. It literally is the top of a volcano. And um, they're just currently still erupting. And uh, so it's, it's just slabs of lava rock underneath about this much dirt. And so it's not just like normal digging. It's kind of this, it's pretty interesting. So anyway, you get this big, huge jackhammer and you're busting out rock and doing all this stuff. And so um, I I spent two days on a 70-ton excavator, which was fun. And uh, the guy asked me, have you ever run an excavator? I said, oh, a little bit. Perfect. Well, I've run like a little, tiny, little excavator. This thing is like massive. And, uh, but it was it was a blast. And, but I had another project I was supposed to be doing, and so that's why and, and Mike ended up flying out. But um, and then we're coming to the end of the trip, and, and Bobby, who's doing um, tying into the main line of the sewer that's coming down, um, getting ready and extending all this stuff. And then anyway, um, really like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of work that we were able to do. And Bobby's like, I'm not done, and I want to finish this. And so he ended up changing his ticket. Thank you, Sally and kids. Um, and he actually is going to come home today. 
So he's like, I'm going to stay, I'm going to finish it, I'm going to knock it out. And, um, anyway, so we, we, we got to just totally bless them and, and they're, they're super encouraged. We got to um, be a part of what is going to be a huge aspect. We got kind of right in the beginning, literally the beginning, tying it in. And so uh, there's, I feel like there's a lot of significance to that um, and the relationship with them long term. But it was really amazing and, and um, really encouraging and just we had a ton of fun. We got to um, have this cool phenomenon that um, there's a at nighttime out in front of the Sheridan Hotel, which we didn't stay at the Sheridan Hotel, but out in front of the Sheridan Hotel, um, the, they shoot lights out on the water, and so the the plankton shows up. I don't really know how it works, but anyway, and then these big manta rays come at night, and so we we got to put on snorkel gear. Uh, me and Tim and Dixon, and we just kind of bailed off the rocks and swam out there. And uh, I have some really cool video that I can't show you because it's still on my phone, but I, I should have. But uh, amazing. And, and uh, so there's some boats that came out. Anyway, it was really cool. Got to see it's like kind of a once in a lifetime experience of these, right? And what they do, just neat, is the the, the plankton or I think it's plankton comes up and they they um, they do some like backwards somersaults to catch it. They open their mouth and they come up to the surface. They literally like touch you. And so it's like you don't move. You're trying to float because you don't want to touch them or hurt them or anything like that. And they just, they're just right there. It's pretty amazing. It's kind of this ballet in the water. It's pretty, pretty neat. Um, and then another thing we did, which is really fun, the guy that is running the construction um, um, part of development, part of, of YWAM there, um, which is just ecstatic and super thankful that we were there. And so um, one of the things he likes to do is go spearfishing. He said, oh, I'll take you guys spearfishing if you want to go. I said, yeah, that sounds great. So we all, we all went spearfishing and um, fished for a couple hours, I think. We were out there snorkeling around and spearfishing stuff. It was a blast. And right at the end, we are just getting ready to go. And if you've ever used a, a spear or a, um, there's a couple types, but one of them, you pull back these big slings and you, you hook them and on, the, on the arrow and then you shoot it. Well, when you're in water, it doesn't, everything's kind of different when you're under the water. But I didn't realize, I had been shooting it for an hour or so and I didn't realize that it had a pretty good kick to it. And... Um, so the last bit, I'm, I was kind of moving around, and and uh, this fish kind of came up close, and I, I pulled it up. It's pretty kind of heavy and long. And I pulled it up, and I'm swimming across, like, and I pull the trigger, and I didn't realize it was about that far away from my nose. And bam, hits me right in the nose. You can kind of still see there's a little bit of a split left. And my mask just goes, starts filling up with blood. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to get out of here. And uh, anyway... My, I'm, I'm almost recovered. It's been that was pretty early on in the trip, but it was a lot of fun, and uh, I felt like a total idiot. And so, when I'm swimming and I've got all this gear and all this stuff, so I, and then the the swell is hitting the rock. So where we got it, where we're getting on and out, in and out is a little bit rough, and so it's not like I can take care of myself. So I'm coming to the shore, and I was one of the last ones out, and here I come, and I'm just covered in you know, I have face wounds, bleed. I got blood coming out, and uh, and Tim is like, oh, I did the same thing. He wasn't going to tell anybody, 
He, of course, wasn't bleeding like me, but he did the same thing. He hit himself right in the nose. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't feel like I don't feel so bad. I said, yeah, this is just for you, Tim. And you don't feel so bad. But uh, anyways, we had a blast. And uh, that part wasn't as fun, but it was kind of funny. I couldn't help but laugh like what in the world is going on. I didn't get that fish. No, I didn't get that one. No, no, that would have made it even better if I would have got it, but no, I didn't. Yeah, I did get a fish though, which was fun. Hmm. I want to talk about how much time do I have? None. Too many, too many stories. Um, I want to talk about. What it means to be saved. I think I'm reminded about the differences in perspective in the in the kingdom, in the body of Christ, whenever I'm outside of our own little church. And um, and of course, first YWAM just to amazing group of believers and um but from a, a bit a little bit of a different stream and and then this this last i flew home we got in to oakland at 1 a.m and then got back to or 1 30 or something got back to reading at 5 a.m and then i had a budget meeting down there at 8 a.m so and then we had train anyway it's been a long few three four days however many days it's been and um we had this training, um, Core 3 Bethel Global Response training. It was all day Friday and all day Saturday. And um, so getting to teach in that and, and listen and meet an amazing group of people. And, but again, um, this kind of spectrum of, of understanding of past and perspective and all these different things that come together that make really this beautiful body of Christ, that we get to be family of Christ, that we get to be belong to. But I was reminded again of of um, of something I actually preached years ago about what does it mean to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? Oftentimes is, a, is the question we're going to dig through a little bit. Um, and how we define that and and why it's important to define it as as uh, as a church, as a body. Um, because there's so much about um, what we get here is one thing and what we take out of here oftentimes can be another thing. We want it to... How many of you guys want to carry what we just went through with Dave and the team? Like, we want to carry that presence of God out. And uh, oftentimes, the thing that gets in the way is the thing that actually God wants to use is us. (laughs) And the most challenging part of us is what's up here that gets in the way. It's, It's our... It's our perspectives and our and our history and what we think we know or what we think we don't know and and uh, and, I, and I just want to boil this down and and possibly rattle your cage a little bit. Um, stick with me to the end um, because I want to challenge maybe a little bit of what we what we think or how we have thought and I hope we don't well. 
I used to say, I hope we don't have more questions. But I do actually hope we have more questions because I think questions. God is an endless question. And as soon as as soon as we get to knowing the answer is about the time we just stop growing and stop looking for the answer. And and it, it, it is one thing to understand and know that God has the answers, that God is the answer that. But it's another thing to, to stop our growing. And so I want us to continue to ask questions. But I hope to kind of put some words to some real simple, simple things. Um, because while God is infinitely profound and complex, he's also amazingly simple. Um, and so anyway, that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, yeah, she get out by lunchtime. Depending on when you eat lunch. Um, so yeah, what, what must I do to be saved or what does it mean to be saved? It's a question that's been asked, you know, for thousands of years. Um, if you, uh, I'm going to give you, we're going to jump around a little bit in a couple different scriptures, but, um, I'd encourage you to write them down and I'm going to give you little bits of it, but, but to study out a lot of what I'm, I'm saying in the context and, um, and ideally this kind of spurs on some of that interest and, those questions that you don't want to dig out yourself. But Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oftentimes, for me anyway, the way I read Scripture, I get to the end of a, of a passage of Scripture or, a, or, a, or even a book, and, and I am oftentimes have more questions than I have answers. It's, it's very often that I'm like, what does that mean? And what's fun is when you have the time and now, especially with the resources we have and using the Internet and search stuff that you can you don't have to flip through a book to search. Now you can type it in and it automatically will search thousands of things. It's pretty amazing. You can do so much more in so uh, much less time. Um, but the Bible is like a map with an infinite amount of trails and roads that never really end. They just kind of keep circling back and around. And you can follow them around and, and you find new things. And uh, it, it's really just an amazing journey. And, and, uh, and this, this verse kind of spurred this, this idea that, uh, of being saved. And what does it actually mean to be saved? And, and this at Romans 10.9, this says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart. And what does it mean to, to believe in your heart? How do I know if my heart believes? It's, it's easy to, de- to declare with your mouth. Unless you can't speak. And, and so we, we begin to. What I want to actually put out there is. I want to challenge the things that we think we know. But I also want to shore up the things that we, that we do believe. So there's this, there's this, and this is what I mean by rattle our cages a little bit, is that um, I hope we're challenged a little bit. I hope, we, I hope I challenge what we think we know, but I also hope we're strengthened in, in what we know. Does that make sense? We'll see if it does by the end. Um, Acts 2, 38. Says Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." 
And again, I'm just going to kind of throw out a bunch of questions because I want to kind of get us thinking a certain direction. But um, what is it that we're actually looking for when we when we what what are people looking for when we say we want to be saved? What is it that we what's the goal? Um, And I want us to actually sit to sit into the question. Don't be so quick to answer it. Don't be don't be so don't be quick to um, I like having answers. Don't be so quick to, oh, it's because of this. Wait in the question. Like, there's more in the question. There's more in the waiting of, of sitting and, and kind of waiting in the question of what is the goal of, of my relationship with God? What is the... And then I'll, I'll throw this other thing in here that, that repent and be baptized. What does it mean to repent? I've heard good messages and I hope I've preached a few on, on what it means to repent. How do I know when I've actually repented? Do I have to repent every day? How many times do I need to be baptized? Do I repent and be baptized every day? Or I just repent and baptize one time and that covers me backwards and forwards or only backwards? Or, um, and then am I saved or do I have the gift of the Holy Spirit? Which comes first? Do I have to be saved and then I get the Holy Spirit? Or do I get the Holy Spirit and then I know I'm saved? Or Again, just sit in the question for a little bit. I like being, no, I won't say that, never mind. Um, Acts 16. So this is a story, I just want to look at this story a little bit, because it's a whole other interesting salvation that we go, hmm, that's interesting. Um, But this is a story of Paul and Silas when they're in prison, and they get arrested, they get thrown in prison. And uh, this isn't this isn't like Trinity County Jail. This is this is the basement prison of a castle somewhere. And uh, and they are they're down there. It's dark and and they start worshiping and the and and the presence of God shows up in this crazy way, shakes the whole place, all the doors open up, and um, and there's this miraculous encounter. And the 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 uh, jailkeeper comes in and and basically says, "What do I have to do?" What do I do to, to have what you have? What do I ha- what do I do to understand and to get what you what you exist in? Um, how do I know this God? Um, uh, it says the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell. This is uh, 1629. Rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, and this is what we're looking at. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. At some point, they drop the baptized part. We pick it back up in other places, but here it's not. And then what's interesting is, is you and your household be saved. I understand, like, we're not going to get into a whole bunch of culture and a whole bunch of, you know, the father of the house and all of those things. Um, but it's another question. So did, did this guy not need to be baptized or were they going to do that later on or was that just left out? Maybe they said it, but it wasn't there. It wasn't recorded that way. So I'm intentionally kind of taking us to begin to... How many of you guys know when God wants to rebuild something, oftentimes it takes longer to dismantle what we've already built so He can build what He wants? And so for me, the way I work oftentimes is those questions begin to dismantle me. They begin to create room in my life for God to to lay in, for the Holy Spirit to lay in new, new answers. 
And I know it's not a journey we all just kind of like blow everything out of the water every day and start over. I don't want to do that at all. Um, but I also believe that we get in stuck in, in, in ruts that actually limit our freedom, actually limit our influence based on um, a poor understanding from the past that we just never revisited because we thought we knew. Does that make sense? And so we're going we're gonna to revisit this. And, and some of the stuff you guys might say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I've always believed. And I'm right there and totally understand that. And that'll be great. Um, so, so far, we've got declare, we've got repent, we've got believe and be baptized. Is it really as simple as those actions? Is it really as simple as just say this thing, declare this thing, believe this thing, be baptized, and then you're saved? What does that mean? How many times... I have to do that before it sticks. <laughs> How come I've maybe I've done all those things and I still don't feel different, or I did feel different for a little while, but now I, that was however many years ago. Does that mean I'm not saved anymore? Does that mean I need to, you know, re-up my membership, or what is it that I I let it let my my membership lapse? Now I'm going to paraphrase this next. Uh, maybe I won't. I don't need to. Um, Mark 10. If you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to take a big chunk of Mark 10. Because this is one of those things. It's, it's Jesus actually answered this question, and it's recorded in Scripture. And so, um, this what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to, to have what you're giving away? Jesus. Good teacher, is actually the phrase. And, um, and I love the way Jesus answered it, because nobody would answer it this way. Um, I've never heard anyone teach on answering it this way, and yet this is how Jesus answered it. And so I feel like there's some revelation here that we, we need to get. And um, anyway, it's, it's cool. So in 1017, it says, Jesus started on his way and ran up to, oh, sorry, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he comes in. He comes in addressing Jesus as a teacher. He's wanting to be taught. He's wanting to be learn to, to learn. He's taking falling on his knees. He's taking this this place of submission, openness to what do you have for me? Tell me what to do. And so Jesus says, "Why do you call me good?" Jesus answered, "No one is good except God alone." Jesus points out that he didn't recognize him as the Lord. Right? He separates, going, well, "Only God's good." Right? Why are you calling me good? The right answer would have been, you're Lord. That's why you're good. Because you are one and the same. Right? But he didn't have that revelation yet. So on we go. It says, you know that you know the commandments. This is Jesus talking still. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. What's interesting in his list is he doesn't include... Um, love for, for the Lord. Kind of interesting. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. There's a year's worth of messages in that one sentence. He looked at him and he loved him. Why, why did... Why did that get recorded? 
Because he didn't say it. He didn't look at him and say, I love you. It says that, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. What was that? that is a window into the heart of Jesus. It's this open window. You get to stare and this is what Jesus loved. What was it that he was loving? A guy that he knew was about to walk away. A guy that he knew didn't love him. A guy that he knew that valued money, which we're going to see. I know most of you know the story. That actually knew would choose to value money over a relationship with God. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's, that's, that's amazing. I love that. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. This is Jesus speaking to him. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. So he loved him and he told him to get rid of everything. Why? What was he lacking? Poverty? You're not poor enough to follow me. That'll teach. You're not poor enough. You got too much. It says that this, the man, face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, It's hard for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. See, this guy was coming to Jesus looking for a formula. He was looking for, wanted he wanted a list. And actually what I believe is that he was he was actually looking for um, confirmation in that you're doing a good job. You're doing great. You're doing great. But Jesus, looking at him in love, identified the one thing that still stood between the loving relationship. The one thing that still stood between, not that Jesus didn't love him, but that he couldn't love Jesus. That one thing, he said, oh, your problem's money. Get rid of your money, and get rid of your problem. Then you're good. But how many of you guys know that there's a reason why we don't teach Right? It's not, if we were to just to take this at face value and say, listen, Jesus taught it. Jesus even said it. There's not very many times that it's recorded in Scripture where Jesus actually tells someone how to inherit eternal life. It's not in there very often. But one of the times he says, get rid of everything you've got. And that, as you know, that people have followed that. That you can't have anything. If you have anything, you can't follow. There's quite a big movement that is... And, and we're, I, I, I believe there's some of what, where we are right now is just coming out of that, that lie that we've been under, which we're going to get to why I believe that that's not a, a truth. It's true, but it's not a truth. Which is a whole other teaching. But it's true. It's true that that man needed, that there was money standing between a relationship with God and him. And all Jesus did was bring it up. And the guy agreed. In action, by hanging his head and walking the other way. So you're right. I can't get rid of my money. You guys there? You okay? Okay. And then there's another encounter in Luke 10, recorded with Jesus, where he gives a different response. It says on one occasion, an expert stood, uh, an expert in the law stood up to Jesus uh, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" What is written in the law? Jesus replies. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said you answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. So love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. If you read the context of this, he goes on, the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the of the um, Good Samaritan. It's right there. This is my neighbor. Pretty much everybody. Anybody that needs you. So as our, as our, we're comfortable with our salvation being connected to our understanding and level of love for God, but are we connected with that salvation being, are we okay with that being connected to our love for strangers? There's only couple places where Jesus answers that question. One of them is get rid of everything you've got. And the other one is love God and love people and you'll live. You, you understand like it, it's not we can't always just take take scripture and and let's just let's just do what the scripture says. Okay. Get rid of everything you've got and make sure you love everyone you encounter. We're comfortable with love, God. We, we, we're comfortable with that. You know why? Because nobody can measure it. <laughs> yeah, nobody's met. It's like, yeah, of course I love God. Okay. We can't measure it. We try, like, well, how much, how often do you read your Bible? And how often do you, it has nothing to do with how much you love God, but we try to. But we're more, way more comfortable with what we can't measure. But the other things are pretty measurable. We can look at each other's lives. I don't advise it, but I'm just saying. You can look at each other's lives, we can know. You got too much money according to our scale that we have set up. We've decided what is uh, acceptable poverty level, and you have a little bit too much. Or you have not served enough needy people this month, and so your salvation is in jeopardy. We, we, we are, we're uncomfortable connecting our salvation to things that we can measure. Which isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is, what I'm challenging is, is that we, we oftentimes base our salvation or we base our, our explanation or our comfort with salvation not on, on, on Scripture, but on, com- on comfort. On what's measurable, what's okay, or, or what's immeasurable, I mean. And I, I wonder if it's time in the church to get a little bit more uncomfortable. To just get a little bit more uncomfortable. I don't mean make them, whoever they are, more uncomfortable. I'm actually talking about us. Because for a lot of years we've done our best to make us comfortable and them uncomfortable. So then they'll join us to be more comfortable. I know, and we're surprised why it doesn't work. But I, I want I want to challenge us that well, I want to challenge us to be challenged. Does money disqualify us? Repent, be baptized, give all you have to the poor, declare with your mouth, believe in your heart. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. What disqualifies us? Like I said before, what if you can't speak? What if, what if you 
don't have a voice? Are you disqualified from declaring with your mouth? Or what if you live somebody live somewhere where there's no water to be baptized? This is a question. We don't have to think about those people. <laughs> Makes us uncomfortable. I don't live there, so I don't have to have a theology that includes that. How much is too much money? Like a <laughs> hundred thousand. So that's where I'll stop. No, like seriously, we we all say, oh no, that's not that's not part of it. We know that's not part of it. Who who told you it wasn't part of it? I agree with you. I'm just saying, who who told you that like that there wasn't too much money? When did we decide that? Because Jesus said and taught that there, that told this person, we have it recorded in Scripture, told this guy that he had too much money to follow him. Get rid of the money and then you can come. When did we decide that that wasn't the case? The point that I'm trying to make is that we've actually made decisions to, about salvation that maybe either aren't biblical or, or we've just made decisions because of culture or somebody told us or it seemed like a good idea and and. And what I want to do is I want to begin to challenge us that that not challenge our salvation, but challenge our view of our salvation, because what's going on is our world is exploding in revival. Our world is exploding in revival. They're hungry for salvation. They might not call it salvation. Some of them even do. What do I have to do to have a relationship with God? And when Jesus was answered that, he actually said, you got to get rid of all your money. Why did he say that? We don't believe that. What I'm saying is we need to know what we believe if we plan on being part of answering the question. We got to know what, why and how people get into a relationship with God. And sometimes the simplest answer isn't actually the right answer. That all of them are true, but not all of them are truth. How many of you know it's true that that man needed to get rid of all of his possessions? You know how I know it's true? Because Jesus said it. But it's not truth because it's not always true. That's a whole other message. I'm not preaching right now, so but it came out. I'm sorry. Um, where are we? Oh, how about this one? As if your cage is not rattled enough. I'll let off after this one. Luke fourteen twenty five. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. Turning to them, he said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't like that part. So, I just don't read it. <laughs> we're, in a hu- we're in a huge movement right now of self-care. It's super popular in our, in our stream of self-first. Take care of yourself first. We're behind the world. Like, the world did it in the 80s. They were like... You know, they were doing that in the 80s. You're the most important person in your life. Now, the, the church is doing it, and there is some value to that and truth to it and in it. And I believe that 
that was what was happening actually in here. People were following Jesus to get what they wanted. And he's like, listen, you guys all and everything you care about is completely unimportant. That's what he said. But listen, what happens later on? Maybe this is in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So wait, are we supposed to hate our wives? Because it says, Jesus said we're supposed to hate our wives. But then, I'm really confused. Isn't this fun? I'm challenging the idea that you can just hand someone a Bible. Listen, the Bible's living and alive and, and I'm not. Don't get me wrong. But we need to know what we believe. We need to know that, that not that we become scholars and we have all these answers, but we're, gonna, we're actually going to simplify all this, and that's the whole idea. Is that don't, lean on, don't, don't just count on everybody else to have the answer. I'm just going to leave Luke 14, 25. Because um, it's just super amazing in this, the challenge, the balance, the truth, or the, the tension that is between what is true and, and what is truth. Truth is, is forever, and true has a season. I'll leave that this thing in there. So here's what I think after going through all that. If we're trying to lead people to a formula, we're, they're always going to find that it, that formula doesn't work. That's, science is about being able to prove something over and over and over and over and over again. And I believe actually that we we want this formula that is the same, that makes sense. So when people say, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to have a relationship with God? What do I have to do? We want a formula. They want a formula. That's old news, actually. (laughs) It's been happening for thousands of years. They want a formula. Just tell me what to do. Tell me how many times I've got to come to church every week. Tell me how how many hours I've got to spend praying. Tell me how many... Verses I need to read and tell me, oh, and now I've got to hate my wife or love my wife. I've got to, I've got to take care of myself or hate myself. I've got to steward my money or I've got to get rid of all of it. The point is, is there's not a formula for relationship. I think it's simplified in that one spot where Jesus said he looked at him and he loved him. He just looked at him and he loved him. Now there's a whole bunch of challenges that we all have to get through because we all have a different life that is pointing us towards the cross. Or if we've already been to the cross, we have a different life that's pointing us through the cross, from the cross to relationship. And just like one person's thing might be money, another person's thing might be their kids. Might be their wife. Might be their family. Might be their own life. There's a reality to that. That Listen, 
one of the biggest problems, probably the biggest things that happens, gets in between us and God is us. The hardest thing to get over to get to God is ourselves. So there's a reality to that. There's a revelation in it. But it's so important to understand that being saved is about who you know, not what you know. Anything can come between us. And when something comes between us, that's the problem. That's what you have to overcome to get to Him. And I, I, I imagine we could go through this whole room and everyone would have something different. And that's why it's, there's no formula. That's why our relationship with God is, is dynamic. Because every single person that asks Jesus that question would get a different answer. And I say that to say, be careful to give people the answer. That may have been the answer for you. It may have been the answer for someone else. But it might not be their answer. Because what happens is you give someone an answer. You say, oh yeah, I read it. Jesus said all you got to do is get rid of all your money. And they get rid of all their money. And what happens? Oh, they solved the wrong problem. And so they actually have more problems. Oh, you just got to repent and be baptized. I can't tell you how many times I've baptized people that they say they just want to be baptized to, to feel better. It's like, ah, man. That's probably not going to work. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, oftentimes when we try to have a formula, we end up answering problems that people don't have. And we wonder why they do do all the things or try... That's, that's what religion is. Religion is do this series of things. Now, how many of you guys know, within relationship, doing those series of things, that religion actually is a whole bunch of fun. I recently was having this conversation with someone that was talking to me about, about religion and that, we've, that religion has become a bad word in the church and we need to be careful because there is actually pure and faultless religion. That religion within relationship. I don't know you guys know that like we celebrate um, if you have Taco Tuesdays with your family. And uh, how many? I saw Steve smile. He either wants Taco Tuesdays or he has it. So, and he likes it. So those are the two expressions. Uh, you know, you, that's that's a that's a we we don't call it a religion because it doesn't have anything to do with 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 spirituality. But that's what it is. It's religious. It's a series of things that we do. It's it's a um, what is the word I'm thinking? Tradition or yeah, and um, and they're fun. They're fun. It's fun to get together and do things and create memories and well, that's what that's what religion is. It's, it brings structure to a whole bunch of people coming together for. Did you know that it's religious that we religiously start church at ten fifteen, eh, ten twenty <laughs> every Sunday? It's, that's religion. Why? Well, it's a whole lot easier to get everybody in the same place at the same time if we tell them what time the church starts. Approximately. <laughs> so it has its place in a, in a healthy relationship. But when you make the structure and the formula 
the relationship, you actually lose it. Actually, the structure itself becomes the problem. We're going through this structure change right now. A whole bunch of things might not change on the outside, but I can almost tell you that everything will change. Everything's going to change. The way things flow and happen, some of it will be quick and some of it will be slow. Some of it will be good and some of it you won't like. But everything's going to slowly change. But I'll tell you what, won't change. That's God. He won't change. The religion of everything will change. How we do stuff. You know, priorities shift and change. What was really important to me might not be really important. Something else will be really important to Brandon. And so that will slowly shift. The culture will change. So our religion will change, but our relationship with God, I know it changes as well, but follow with me what I'm trying to say is that it, it, it grows in, in that it changes, it grows. But that He is the same. And as long as that is the focal point, this will all be okay. How many of you guys know when you come to church for religion, when they move the chairs, you have, you have an identity crisis? I'm going to take somebody's seat. Because, because, because my seat, I have to give to someone else. That's one of my, my kids' big questions. Dad. Mom, where are you guys going to sit? This is, this is a big topic in our family. Something big is going to change. How many of you guys know if, if religion changes and you have an identity crisis, then unfortunately your identity is tied to the wrong thing. Right? And that's the idea of this. I know we kind of rattled around with the... I'll say this to you. Yeah, if 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 someone challenges the meaning of scripture and your identity gets rattled, your identity is tied to the wrong thing. There isn't four parts. Of the Godhead. It's the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. All of which. Are part of this. Invested in input. I don't know if that, I think it's settled okay. Feels alright. An idol is something, and he's, this is a quote, so I'm using that word idol, but you can put in there, but an idol is anything that you need to check with before you say yes to God. Even religion. <laughs> Especially maybe religion. In order to, to survive through this transition, I think we have to get really comfortable with our religion changing. Please don't pull that quote out of and put that on Facebook by itself out of the context of this message. We have to get comfortable with doing things a little bit different. Or else we'll get offended, we'll get hurt, we'll get whatever. And, and, then, and then the enemy wins because the enemy gets division. I don't like the style. I don't like that. We're doing that now and not doing this. Or this was my favorite thing about church. And now. You know, whatever it is. I mean, 
going to be a billion opportunities to have our feelings hurt and be uncomfortable. That we can probably rely on. But we've got to stay together. We've got to stick it out. Because it's about our relationship with Him. And this is just the means of our connection. So let's celebrate. Let's celebrate every change. Let's celebrate every growth. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's awkward. How much we rely on the formula, I, I believe, is going to be tested. I think, I think that that's actually a normal part of... I'm doing my best to prepare us for this transition. I think it's a normal part of transition is, is our reliance on the formula. When the formula gets changed or challenged. I can guarantee you there's things important to, to Brandon that aren't as important to me. And there's things that I really deemed valuable. And there's stuff that you might know in time, but you wouldn't even necessarily know until all of a sudden they're gone. And then you realize, huh, that must have been something that Cameron protected or valued or whatever. And now that's changed, something different. But I want, I want to pray for you guys um, and end with that. Oh my gosh, it's 12 I'm sorry. I kind of went off script a little bit at the end. Um, and I, I want us, I want to pray specifically for, um, for our yes to God. For our yes to process. We're all here at some level because we said yes to something. But I want to make sure to realign, and at least in this moment, and ideally we keep going with Every day, our yes to God. That God, even if it looks different, even if it feels different, even if Cameron steals my seat, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep saying yes. I'm going to keep saying yes to God. I'm going to keep saying yes to, to community. I'm going to keep saying yes to the things that you value. I'm going to keep saying yes. Even if there's uncomfortable moments, even if they decide to do six hours of church, Nobody laughed at that one. I'll make sure to pass that on. The seat thing was funny. They did not think six hours. Will you guys stand with me? I want to, yeah, so I want to just pray for that. Yes, that our yes um, is at the forefront of our mind. And that we remember that we're not saying yes to a formula, but that we're saying yes to a person we're saying yes and I don't mean Brandon I mean God I mean Jesus the person of Jesus if we say that we say you know Jesus whatever you're doing the answer is yes if the stumbling block in front of me is all my money then then yes if the stumbling block in front of me is is that I value I'm putting my family over everything else or I'm putting my job over everything else or I'm putting my career or I'm putting myself then the answer God, Jesus the answer to you is yes and I know that I'm, I'm saying this kind of nonchalantly but that it's actually a real thing that 
I can't make I'm, I can't make the statement for you that your answer will be yes. I'm going to pray that it is, and then you got to you got to have that interaction just like the the rich man that came to Jesus. You have to have that interaction probably every day. God, what do I what do I what do I have to do today to be in relationship with you? What do I need to do today? Because here I am. I'm available. This is my yes. So Lord, we, we come to you. We just thank you that, that you are infinitely complex, but also amazingly simple. And there's a tension that is held together by, by love. That it's the constant in everything that we see even this this situation that seeing and hearing that that you looked at this wealthy this wealthy guy and with love and that in all of our stuff you continue to look on us with love and Lord I pray that you'd help us with our yes You'd help us. You'd, you'd, you'd point out the things that we put in between us and you. There can be so many things. And so, Lord, you just begin to reveal those things to us. Whatever's blocking our yes. That there's not a token answer. There's not a, a formula. But the, the, the answer is simply just yes. It's our ability to say yes to you. And anything that gets in, that, in our way, anything we have to check with before we say yes to you, we want to move it to the side. We want to give you our yes. And so I pray that you'd empower this group of people to find their yes, to find that path, to find that direct connection with you, that relationship, and strengthen it. Invite you, Holy Spirit. And I just declare over this season that we are excited for change. We are excited for change. We're excited for, for new leadership. We're excited for the next season. Lord, help us with our discomfort. Help us with, with what we're uncomfortable with. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts and, and, and that you'd give us your perspective on changes. You'd give us your perspective on decisions. You'd give us your perspective on style. That we would be that we would be so close to your heartbeat that we would know the goodness of your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, thank you.